Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast. This is episode 50. I'm your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Mike Luciano. And uh, obviously, this is a very special episode. It's episode 50. I don't know what that is a benchmark of, but we've done 50 episodes. So that's pretty big news. Uh, a lot on the show for you today. We've got a brand new segment, most importantly, which is what crazy fucking thing do Republicans say this week? So we'll get to that later in the show. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to be discussing um, the Biden's presser, the Boulder shooting, uh, gun control, Georgia's new voting laws, and also the new Dominion lawsuit against Fox News for $1.6 billion. Mike, how are you today, my friend? Ben, I'm a little confused because I watched – oh, yes, very confused. Last week, I watched a presidential press conference, and it contained no personal insults, no self-pity, and no grievance politics. I mean, aren't presidential press conferences supposed to have all of those things? Surprising, right? I mean, it was – after the last four years – uh, I was a bit of a letdown, really. I was expecting, you know, I was expecting a, a real shit show and, uh, you know, Biden to be kicking journalists out. I wanted a couple of fist fights. You know, where were the, uh, I wanted some big lies. You know, I was looking, I was really looking forward to some, the fact checkers having a field day with the press conference, but we, we got none of it. No, Joe Biden's press conference, uh, he had his first press conference on Thursday uh, as president, and it was, fine. Uh, He held his own. I mean, those who think that Joe Biden is senile or whatever and who watched this press conference were probably wondering where senile Joe was, right? I mean, he was lucid. If not, he, he actually gave some very long, substantive answers on a lot of the questions. You know, at the top, before taking any questions, he spoke about COVID and then he took about 10 questions uh, not including a whole bunch of follow-ups. And not one question was about COVID-19 or the COVID relief bill or the COVID vaccine or anything like that, which is remarkable considering we still have over a thousand people a day dying from this. So, so yes, we have vaccines, but you know this is very much still a thing. It is very much a pressing issue. But of course, the questions mostly centered on migrants coming across the border and the log jam that's going on down there. There were some questions about China, but nothing on COVID, which was remarkable. You could look at that in two ways, I think. You know, there's the good and the bad. I mean, I think that obviously um, America's now become, Americans have become desensitized to COVID deaths, number one. But number two, I think it's obviously like Biden is doing a good job. He's doing an incredibly good job on rolling out. The one that he had to do two things, right, when he became president, right? The first was to roll out the vaccine. That was the most, I would say the most important thing was to get the rollout of the vaccine, right? He's And he has doubled his target. He said he wanted to deliver 100 million shots in the first 100 days. He's on target, as he mentioned in the press conference, he's on target to do 200 million, right? <clears throat> that And he needed to pass corona, coronavirus uh, relief bill, which he has done, right? The $1.9 trillion stimulus package. And he's done both of them. So, it's sort of, you know, he's done a good job. And when your government does a good job, you know, and they do things quietly, that that's a good thing, you know, that we don't have to talk about it. There is, you know, there he, there have been no COVID disasters, right? You know, he, he isn't pitting the states against each other like, like Trump was doing. <clears throat> he wasn't making false claims about, about when the vaccine was going to come out, uh, about, or about how good the therapeutics were, or whether to put bleach up your backside, right? He wasn't doing, there's, there's nothing to report on other than saying, yeah, he's doing what he said he would do, and he's proving that the government can do things well. That that's it, you know. In some ways, I, I thought thought that was a positive because there were there just no scandals. But then, obviously, and we can talk. We'll talk about this later. Obviously, this ties in a lot with the with the gun deaths um, that Americans are increasingly desensitized to the number of people who die, uh, either violently or from COVID every day. I wasn't unsympathetic to a lot of the reporters who were saying Biden hasn't had a press conference yet. Normally, presidents have a press conference by now. But I will say, like, you know, these things just no matter who the president is, I mean, maybe Trump notwithstanding, 
They tend to be boring. They're supposed to be boring. You don't learn a whole lot from them. But I do think it is important for presidents to give periodic press conferences. There was a point, <laughs> there was a point in Biden's speech where I'm pretty sure he was joking. But if you're going to deliver a line like this, you need to like give a little smile when you say it, when you have so many people who think that you have lost your mind. And that was, he was talking about the filibuster and he said that he thinks the filibuster should revert back to what it was when he first entered the Senate. And he said, I quote, 120 years ago. Now, again, pretty sure he's joking, but if you're going to deliver that line, you can't deliver it with a straight face because a lot of people are going to seize upon that and say, ah, look, he, he thinks he went, in, went to the Senate 120 years ago, despite the fact that like the rest of his hour-long pres, press conference was perfectly lucid. You know, I mean, look, like the guy, the guy is old. You know, I, I think it's clear. Um, I mean, we've discussed this a lot on the podcast, right? Like Biden is, <clears throat> he's clearly an older guy. Uh, he's clearly like not quite what he was, but he's clearly fine as well, which is, it's just, we're in this kind of weird stage, right? Where we have to, where the, the right are, are convinced that he's brain dead and an Alzheimer's patient, right? Which is just not true. Um, but then I think on the, on the left, you've got sort of, you know, there is perhaps some bit of denialism about like the guys. Yeah, he's he can sometimes be a bit doddery, and sometimes not. But that's often the case with 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 people around that age, right? It's kind of like you know, sometimes they're completely switched on and don't skip a beat, and then sometimes they have kind of you know what one would call senior moments. There we go. There we go. Um, since we last recorded. We had another mass shooting. In the last episode, we talked about the gunman who went to three Atlanta-area massage parlors and killed eight people, six of whom were of Asian descent. And since then, a gunman went into a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, and killed 10 people. The shooting in Boulder was perpetrated by seemingly somebody with a mental illness, his relatives were were quoted in in news outlets saying that he had exhibited you know severe paranoia recently, you know thinking that people were you know, I think they were at a restaurant or something like that, and he was saying that people were outside to get him stuff like that. But the narrative surrounding the identity of this shooter, who we won't name, it's just it's emblematic of so much that's wrong with social media because shortly after the shooting. A photo started circulating on social media of the suspect being taken into custody, and he appeared to be a white man. And so a lot of liberals on Twitter started saying things like, of course, another white man guns down a bunch of people and is calmly taken into police custody. And on the, the right, you didn't have a whole lot of coverage of the incident. I believe CNN and MSNBC were, were covering this live or covering the the police press conference live and I don't I don't believe Fox News was doing that. I may be conflating that with the coverage of the the Atlanta area shootings which could be an indictment of my memory but it also might be an indictment of the fact that we have way too many fucking mass shootings in this country that I can't keep them straight. But then it was revealed the police revealed the suspect's name which the suspect was actually Syrian. He came over to this country when he was a toddler, I think, and he had a, a Syrian name. He had an Arabic name. And then liberal Twitter kind of went quiet on the whole you know, identity narrative. And then meanwhile, on the right, they ran with it because it fit their fucking narrative. And I just wish that we could just not view every single mass shooting through the, the lens of some type of identity politics and instead maybe just use it as, as a catalyst, regardless of the shooter's race or religion, and instead use it as a catalyst to enact sensible gun laws in this country, which again, I'm pessimistic about, but if there's any, you know, I'm just tired of people trying to take every incident like this and trying to pigeonhole it into what they want the narrative to be. You know, we discussed this a bit last week about the, the, the shooting last week that everybody was determined to paint their own narrative onto um, the killings in Georgia. You know, that there was an act of white supremacy. Maybe, you know, maybe it was, you know, like 
here, here is the thing, right? They're, they're all like all these things, like particularly with something as as sort of devastating as like as, and as you know, like a mass killing, right? I mean, it's clearly you know you don't just normal people don't wake up and go out and kill lots of people, right? So there's there's going to be a lot of different factors: uh, environmental, genetic, racial, religious. There are so many different lenses through which you can see these things. Um, yeah, and I think the, the obviously the the shooting in Colorado this this week was it's it's just another example of of an incredibly comp- complex thing everybody's jumped on right it's like you know like the anti Asian um, the anti Asian uh, thing is apparently all about white supremacy when actually it isn't just about white supremacy there are, there are a lot of um, a lot of the the attacks on Asians in recent weeks have been by um, people from lots of different backgrounds, you know, African American, Latino, uh, and white, you know. So it, 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 again, trying to trying to say that, you know, this is just to do with one one reason, one particular, it, whatever you happen to be interested in, right? It, it usually, sort of, most people try to kind of use that narrative to describe, you know, or, or to to color the story, right? So to fit to fit your own purposes, and I think that particularly over the last two weeks, the mass shootings. I mean, obviously, there are two things in common, right? The two most prominent things in common with these two, with these two people was that they bought high-powered military weaponry with, with, with no background checks. So this is clearly like, I think in a, in a more rational society, right, this would be the topic of conversation, would be sensible gun control. You know, when there was the killing in, in New Zealand, there was the Christchurch killings. The government banned um, semi-automatic weapons almost overnight, right? That's what a sensible democracy does in, in when you have um, mass gun death, uh, was that they would seek to, um, at least, at the, at the very least, to restrict gun, you know, restrict access to, to guns that are creating these kind of these these tragedies but not in america <laughs> not in america everybody's got to get their little you know their two cents in it's but you know it's about islam or it's about white supremacy or it's about this or it's about that um yeah i i share your frustration it's it's it's, it's difficult you know and I, I don't quite know how we how we i don't think also i don't think twitter helps helps much the, uh, you know helps uh, the debate very much the the policy aspect is also frustrating one of the mer- many bad points that the, the right makes in response to any kind of call for gun control is this, you know, liberals misidentifying the type of weapons that were used in the latest shooting. So like this, this tweet by uh, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, big gun advocate, made the rounds. It's from February, but it was making the rounds again. She tweeted – the people who think we need more gun control are the same people who think the AR in AR-15 stands for assault rifle. Now, AR stands for Armalite, but you know what? What the fuck does that matter? You know, I hear this all the time, like, oh, liberals don't know the difference between a clip and a magazine. The idea that because gun control advocates sometimes get their facts wrong about the kinds of guns that are doing all this damage is a red herring. It's, it's completely irrelevant, you know, like, so, so who cares what, who cares what AR stands for? Okay. We have a problem. You know, it's like when my car breaks down, I know nothing about cars, but when my car won't start, when I push the ignition, I know something is wrong. But you've got the gun people saying, oh, gun control advocates don't know the difference between, you know, different kinds of guns. Who gives a shit? You know, when someone calls 911 to report an active shooter, the dispatcher doesn't make sending help contingent on the caller's ability to identify the type of gun correctly. It's like, okay, sir, what type of gun is the suspect using? I'm not sure. Well, we can't move forward until you identify the type of firearm that is involved. Like, that's not how it fucking happens. You don't have to be a gun expert to understand that we have a serious fucking problem here. Yeah, right. It would be like being opposed, you know, being opposed to the Iraq war, being told you couldn't be opposed to the Iraq war because you didn't know what tanks they were going to use to invade the country, you know? Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, this is, I, Don Jr. was out there tweeting that 
um, in the wake of the shooting that basically that knives kill more people than rifles do, right? So he's quoted an article, I think it was from the Daily Caller, and he said, you know, knives kill more people, knives and fists kill more people than rifles do. So if you actually click on the article, if you read it, I had to go on the Daily Caller, which I'm loath to do, but I did go on the Daily Caller and I read the article. Um, and it was, if you look at it, yes, rifles as a percentage of gun deaths are actually, you know, it's quite, it's a relatively minor you know, it's relatively minor, right? But it's hand, you know, handguns are the the, the major cause of, of death, um, the use of handguns. But they're all fucking guns, right? This is this is the you know this is the thing is that they're all guns, they're all gun deaths. So regardless of what gun you're using, right? They're all you know they're all really bad. They're all incredibly dangerous. Mass shootings as well. Like you can't do a mass shooting with a handgun as well, right? So. So it, or it's much harder to do a mass shooting with a handgun. With, when you have uh, automatic weapons, that makes it infinitely easier. That's why you'd want to ban them. So at least you'd get rid of, you know, you, you'd get rid of the, the massacres, right? Which kind of do, in, or, or you'd, you'd radically reduce them. So I mean, you know, yeah, the the I've given I just don't listen to any conservative talking points now on gun control because they don't make any sense. They're just like, yeah, absolutely no restrictions whatsoever, right? It's got more and more crazy where you can't, you know, just even sensible gun uh, gun control is now would now be seen as sort of a, an act of war. Um, and the end of America as we know it, by just having very... It's become this sort of like, you know, it, it, it's almost like the the Bible, right? You can't... It would be like ripping up, ripping out a page of the Bible if you if you um, uh, were in favour of gun control or if you were to any way interfere with the right to bear arms. It's just crazy. It, it's kind of... Re- it's religious now. It's turned into kind of a, a, an insane religion and we can't have a sensible conversation about it. Um, and again, yeah, I don't, I don't hold out much hope for any sensible gun control in the wake of these two tragedies because, uh, again, we've got a, a Senate that is completely out of whack with the with public sentiment on issues of gun control, which gun control was actually popular with the public, incredibly popular with the public, sensible gun control. But it's we can't do this now because of um you know the way the power is is distributed the political power is distributed in america that gives republicans a completely outsized role the might you know minority control and they can kind of um hold all these things up i mean look what happened after sandy hook that was basically killed in the senate gun control was killed in the senate they took it to the senate and it just couldn't obama couldn't get it passed um because a couple of senators were worried about their re-election so they wouldn't go along with it this is, you know, and this is the story over and over and over and over again. Uh, I, I don't know how you're going to do how we're going to get gun control passed until, I, for me, a lot of this is down to, um, you know, we, this is almost a segue into the, into the filibuster, right? And, and how you have an HR1 and voting reform. But I think, you know, voting reform has got to be how you do this, right? You have to reform, um, overhaul the voting system in America. You have to end the filibuster. You have to pass HR1, which is the voting reform um, legislation. So you can have, you know, properly regulated free and fair elections with limited um, gerrymandering and redistricting uh, and, and, a, and the same kind of oversight over political ads. And then, you know, this is what Republicans are so scared about this stuff is because they, they know that Democrats are going, will win, right, if we pass, if we pass all of this, um, this legislation. And if they win, um, I think the Democrats get a much better chance of controlling the Senate with real numbers, you know, with a sizable advantage in the Senate, as they should do, proportionally speaking, given the number of votes um, that Democrats get around the country, given the fact that they won the general election by over 7 million votes, uh, you know, um, the Democrats would have a lot more control. And I think that you would see, you'd then start to see real gun control, uh, but that's not going to happen anytime soon, I think. And I think that we, we're seeing that in Georgia, which is uh, obviously, um, you know, the next part of what we were going to, what we're going to talk about, um, which are the voting, uh, the voter suppression um, bills that just got passed in Georgia, which are just insane. Just one last point on the gun control thing. Congress couldn't pass any gun control legislation after Sandy Hook. 
26 and seven year old kids and six teachers gunned down at school. That was supposed to be the day the gun control debate in America changed, and it didn't. It's been the same old crap after every subsequent mass shooting, just complete inaction. So, yeah, you mentioned that Georgia, they they rushed through a really anti-democracy piece of legislation. It was signed into law by Governor Brian Kemp on Thursday. And this law, it does a lot of things, but the main things that it does... It reduces the amount of time that you can request an absentee ballot. It reduces the number of drop boxes where voters can drop off their ballots that they have cast. It shortens the time frame for runoff elections. It takes authority away from the Secretary of State and gives oversight to the legislature when it comes to overseeing elections. It requires a photo ID to vote by mail. And perhaps the most cartoonishly evil one of all, the law makes it a crime. You know, not a civil violation, not a ticket, not a summons, but an arrestable offense. It makes it a crime to give food and or water to voters who are waiting in line to vote. And we have seen the kinds of lines that a lot of these states, especially in the South, like to see on election day, especially in Democratic voting neighborhoods, neighborhoods with large populations of people of color, they like to see long lines because the longer the line, the easier it is for someone to get discouraged and say, oh, forget this, or say, hey, I actually have to go back to work. I can't wait in line all day for this. And that's what all of this is designed to do is to to make it harder to vote. And even if somebody is willing to stay in line for like six, seven, eight hours, whatever it is, if somebody wants to give you water or food, they can be arrested for it if they do. So again, this is just yet another cynical attempt from Republicans in another state, in this case, Georgia, to make it harder for people to vote. Very well said. You know, it's... um uh, basically, it is a. It's almost. It's one of the most naked attempts to stop people from voting, stop black people, and stop Democrats from voting that we've seen. I mean, absolutely disgraceful. But the problem is when Republicans do this, they create a backlash, right? I mean, it's kind of like what happened to them in Georgia in the first place. That that they had Georgia pretty much in the bag, but their completely sort of ham-fisted attempts to stop the vote in in Georgia. Um, and Donald Trump kind of constantly interfering, basically made it almost impossible for him to like you know, to, like it it motivated Democrats to the point where they were massively competitive in a state that shouldn't be competitive, right? It should be, you know, um, Warnock and Ossoff uh, were, were not favoured to win their races at all, you know, um, but Trump kind of screwed it up. Trump and the GOP screwed it up. And so I think that this new, uh, these new voting restriction things are going to have the opposite effect. I think that they're going to absolutely um, sort of catalyze even more voter participation in the future, right? So it's yes, it, these these restrictions are um, terrible, right? But what they're going to, and they also basically make the case for ending the filibuster, right? It gave Biden, and he talks about it in his press conference, right? It gave Biden. Um, a, a, a fantastic talking point right, in his press conference to say, you know, look, look at what these guys are doing to the vote. They are trying to restrict people from voting. They are trying to stop people from voting. This is a direct um, assault on our democracy, right? So, you know, at the moment, I believe that that's what's happening with the Democrats. The Democrats are, are at the moment trying to gain a coalition, right? A coalition of the world. They're trying to get enough votes in the Senate to end the filibuster so they can pass voting right reform, where they can pass HR1, which is the most important bill over the past 30 years, I would say. Uh, You know, and basically the Republicans have just, the Republicans in Georgia have just helped make the case for it. 
So I, I think this this shoots them in the foot. I mean, I don't know. What do, what are you? I'm interested to hear what what are your the odds right for um, uh, getting rid of the filibuster? Like, where do you put them at now? What, what's your, what's your? Is it a 55 Which way are you which way are you leaning? Getting rid of the filibuster, zero chance. Reforming the filibuster, a little more than zero chance. Getting rid of the filibuster would be seen by many senators as radical, uh, even though the filibuster is, you know, it was, it, people talk about the filibuster, you know, those who favor it, they talk about it like it was enshrined in the Constitution. It wasn't. It's not, yeah. It actually happened by accident in the early 1800s, went unnoticed really for decades. And you had senators in slave states, they figured out that they could use this loophole in the Senate rules to delay, 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 and obstruct, obstruct, obstruct. And you know, the current manifestation of the filibuster is just the latest iteration of that. Uh, it used to be you needed 67 votes to invoke cloture as opposed to 60 votes now. So the, the filibuster has been changed before the rules surrounding it. You could maybe lower the threshold maybe to 55 to 53, or you could keep the 60 vote threshold, but you would have to put the onus on the, the minority. If they want to block, they have to be in the chamber. They have to muster 41 senators, make them talk, you know, turn it into an old school. Mr. Smith goes to Washington talking filibuster instead of what we have now. I, I I'm not very optimistic on uh, getting rid of the filibuster? No, you're not going to get rid of the filibuster. Maybe if the Republicans obstruct enough, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and other Democrats who are reluctant to reform the filibuster will say, you know what, we can't get the stuff that we want passed passed as the Senate rules are currently constituted. So it's time to change them. But I overall, I'm not optimistic. I mean, look, I mean, I guess it comes down to how can they reform it in a way that gets helps them pass stage one i mean i guess that's the big question and i see that like they they are going to have to pass hr one they haven't i i don't see them having any other choice now right there's a full-scale assault on uh democracy happening at the moment by the republican party and the democrats cannot get they they stand to make themselves irrelevant right they're going to lose like the next 10 years are going to be controlled by the GOP if they don't pass voting reform because the way that they are part, the way that they're ramming through um, election reform, quote unquote, uh, on, a, on a state, um, at the state level, is going to cost Democrats dearly in the future. It's going to cost them big time. So they, I, I don't see, I don't know how exactly they get to pass HR1, but they have to pass it, right? There's, there's, their own future is completely screwed if they don't. So I don't know. I mean, I, you know, can, could they potentially do that? Uh, I think there's some talk of potentially doing that um, through reconciliation, although that would be quite dramatic. That would be, you know, I, I'm not sure how that would play politically and whether Biden would, would want to do that, but that might be one option, um, you know, and it's not something that you usually can pop part it's not something that's usually done i think the senate parliamentarian would have a have a serious issue with that so i don't know what they do but they have to do it they have to do something you know they have to and the republicans are sounding the alarm about about hr1 they know how 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 dangerous this is for them so they are basically um you know sounding the alarm and and, and pulling out all the stops to ensure that this doesn't happen this Segs nicely into our new segment that we do on a weekly basis. What are we calling it? What crazy thing did a Republican say or which Republican said the crazy thing? Because I would like you to guess. I have a clip. So we, first of all, Mike, we need to get the name of the segment down. Okay, The name of the segment is very important, right? Very, very important. So everybody get those. What crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week? Uh, okay. <laughs> What crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week? Okay. Can I play my clip? And then yes. you, you can try to guess who it is. Okay. Okay. So th there's a context clue dropped in here. I, I'm not sure if you're going to get this, Ben, because I'm not sure how versed you are in, in backbenchers in the United States Congress. But I'm going to play this clip for you. Senator Schumer's question was he was – 
wondering why on Sundays Georgia would not participate in an electoral process of gathering signatures of registration and things on Sunday. And I would just like to respond to that. Georgia is a southern state just like Mississippi. I cannot speak for Georgia, but I can speak for Mississippi on why we would never do that on a Sunday or hold an election on a Sunday. You know, this is our currency. This is a dollar bill. This says the United States of America in God we trust. Etched in stone in the U.S. Senate chamber is in God we trust. When you swore in all of these witnesses, the last thing you said to them in your instructions was, so help you God. In God's word in Exodus 20, 18, it says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So that is my response to Senator Schumer. Ben, I love that clip so much, and we'll get into the reasons why. But do you know who that was? I I couldn't tell you. No. Who is it? That is Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi in a Senate hearing last week explaining her opposition to election activities on the Sabbath. And I love this for several reasons, and I'm just going to quickly go through them right now. First, she cites the wrong Bible verse. (laughs) She said Exodus 2018 prohibits... Uh, activity on the Sabbath. It's actually Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. So she was 10 verses off. Second, the Bible has no bearing on election laws in the United States. Thank you, separation of church and state. Third, Cindy Hyde-Smith was sworn into the U.S. Senate on a Sunday. Fourth, oh dear, we're talking about Early voting on a Sunday, election activities on a Sunday, which if you don't want to do that stuff on a Sunday because it's the Sabbath, you don't have to. You can vote on another day. You can vote on election day. Send in your ballot absentee on a Tuesday. Go vote early on Friday if it's available on Friday. And finally, when she said this, I was like, wait a minute. I bet I can easily find exactly what I'm looking for. So I went to the Google machine and I Googled a few words and found exactly what I was looking for. I knew I would find it. I wasn't sure I, you know, this specific piece existed, but I knew I would find something like this. This is from an article just before the November election from a Mississippi news station, WAPT. And it reads, this is the first line. Jackson, Mississippi. Mike Espy and Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith made their final campaign stops Sunday, 48 hours before Election Day. So when it benefits her, whether it's getting sworn in on a Sunday or making her final campaign stop and having a rally on a Sunday for Cindy Hyde-Smith, that's fine. But if people are going to vote on a Sunday, oh, heavens to Betsy, that's unacceptable. No, 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 no. We can't have voting on a Sunday when people actually have the day off, most of them, and are free to go and vote and exercise their franchise. Just incredible rank cynicism from the uh, junior senator from Mississippi, as is to be expected. <laughs> okay, well, I've got I've got a slightly more a slightly better known Republican for you this week. So um, I don't think anybody's going to have to. They, they'll I'll play the clip, and I'm sure everybody will know who this is. Once our 18 senators here, because it's the biggest issue facing the country in many ways right now. So that uh, Mike, can you guess who that was? I mean, the voice is all too familiar. <laughs> That was Senator Miss Lindsey Graham. (laughs) This is Senator Lindsey Graham at the U.S.-Mexico border. Excuse me, excuse me, Senator Miss Lindsey Graham. Senator Miss Lindsey Graham. Yeah, he is a senator, and asking why are eighteen senators here, right, at the U.S.-Mexican border? Because he says it's the biggest issue facing the country in many ways right now. Okay, this is on a on a day right where. Over 1,000 people died from the coronavirus, right? In a week, in the past week, there have been two mass shootings as well, right? Yet, Lindsey Graham has has uh, d- done a sort of a PR campaign, PR event down at the US-Mexico border, claiming that 
the immigration problem, right, that increased dramatically under Trump and has in, has increased since Biden has been in power due to lots of different, you know, there are lots of different factors why um, uh, the situation is deteriorating on the border right now. But it's it's look, it's not the biggest issue facing the country right now. I think over a thousand people a day dying from COVID is is slightly bigger. I think having two mass shootings in a week is a slightly bigger issue facing the country. But you know, Lindsey Graham, ever the shameless grifter, um, uh, is is down on the U.S.-Mexico border, which is the basically favourite holiday spot for Republican senators these days. Um, to go and hype up uh, hype up a, a scandal and pin it on Biden. Um, to, to sort of to drive attention away from the issues where Republicans have completely screwed up. So, you know, and I think this is, you know, it comes straight out of the Donald Trump playbook, right, which is to completely ignore real crises and invent new ones, right, um, and, and or dramatise existing ones um, uh, for maximum effect and maximum fear of basically brown people. Right, which is what Lindsey Graham is doing here. So, you know, Lindsey Graham is perhaps one of the most shameless senators in 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 history, in American history, I would say. And saying something as as obviously, it's just offensive, really, that he would do that, right? In the wake of two mass shootings and over a thousand people dying from the coronavirus, that he would go down. In in any normal society, this would be seen as being deeply offensive, but not to Lindsey Graham. You hit the nail on the head. You know they're they're drumming up a a controversy, and let's just be clear about this. This is a it is a problem. It is a problem. Yes, there has been a spike in the number of migrants. Uh, I believe the the number of border crossings uh, has nearly doubled in the last couple of months. But like historically, we're not at like these are historically high levels. That's not where we are at at the moment. And yes. Border crossings, I believe, declined during the Trump administration because just think of how unwelcoming this guy was, right? His rhetoric, calling Mexicans rapists, screaming about caravans, making it clear that immigrants weren't welcome here. And yeah, that probably had an effect. Joe Biden, he, he hasn't exactly been saying, oh, yeah, come on in. You know, we'll take anybody. He hasn't been saying that. But just by virtue of the fact that he is not Donald Trump, that he is not some frothy-mouthed anti-immigrant president. I think a lot of people in these in these places in, in Mexico and Honduras and other places in Central America who just have no options left other than to leave home and find options elsewhere, they're saying, all right, well, there isn't a raving anti-immigrant maniac in the White House, so maybe I'll try I'll try to cross the border or apply for asylum and and you know, press my luck that way. So it is a big deal. Is it as big a deal as the Republicans are making it out to be? No. And you're absolutely right when you say this is a giant publicity stunt going to the border, trying to make this into a thing when we just have so many bigger problems in the country. And the Republicans are banking on the fact that they can whip up their base and maybe win over some independence by saying we are being inundated with brown people. Go to the polls and vote for us. We will make it stop. Exactly. And that's what it's all about. It's all about peeling off, um, you know, it's about instilling fear in the public about brown people. This is why I think, you know, um, decent people are so outraged by Republicans is that they've essentially sort of adopted full on fascism and full on white supremacy as a kind of major political platform. Um, and they're just not really they're, they're just not ashamed of it anymore. Speaking of fascism, we had quite the exchange on Tucker Carlson's show on Thursday, and I hate to bring him up at all. Ben, you're usually the culprit, but this this clip is just so remarkable. Carlson had a guest on. I have no idea who the hell this guy is. It doesn't matter. But what what is said in this clip is just insane. I think you make a really solid point about the sadness and the powerlessness that people feel in the face of this. And at some point, people are going to say, why should I follow the rules? Why should I be a good citizen if they don't have to follow the rules? I mean, things kind of break down at some point, don't they? They will break down. They are breaking down, Tucker. I've said this before, and I'm telling you, I'm worried that I'm right. 
the right is going to pick a fascist within 10 to 20 years because right. they're not going That's to right. be the only one, the only ones on the outs. There's 60, 70 million of us. We're not a tiny minority. And if we're going to be all treated like criminals and all subject to every single law while Antifa Black Lives Matter guys go free and Hunter Biden goes free, then the right's going to take drastic measures. And it's not about Hunter Biden and his drug use. Nobody cares that guy was bumping booger sugar exactly. lines off European hookers on the weekend. It's about justice that he's never held accountable for. None of the Bidens are, but you would be, Tucker, and so would I. That's so well put, and you're absolutely right. We're moving toward actual extremism because they're undermining the system that kept extremism at bay. And I, I don't think we can say that enough. I'm so glad that you just said it. Jesse Kelly, thank you. Okay, so that was Jesse Kelly, whoever that is. But just where, where to begin? Like, uh, you know, liberals are so bad, we're going to have no choice but to elect a fascist. Uh, uh. This is... Oh man, this this is some fucked up repugnant shit. And and Tucker Carlson, I I gotta say, he sounds so insincere when he says that's right and that's so well put. It sounds like he's seems like Carlson's a bad actor, mm. like not only a bad faith actor but a bad bad actor. I actually think he doesn't believe a lot of what he's saying, and I actually think. He has active contempt for his audience. I mean, a lot of TV presenters are cynical and they'll just say what they think the audience wants to hear and not think anything of it. Part of me thinks Tucker Carlson actively despises his audience. But, the, but the, anyway, the fascism angle here, the fascism thing here, I think this is, this is part of a, a, a broader trend where it is becoming increasingly acceptable to say things like this on the right, to be uh, authoritarian or fascism simpatico. So there was a tweet the other day by uh, this guy, Matt Walsh, uh, and he was, uh, he was a writer at the, he's a writer at the Blaze or the Wire, or the Daily Wire, one of those other conservative outhouses online. And he's not alone. He's not the first person I've seen say something like this. He's talking about the, the Georgia voter law that we just talked about. And he, he said about, quote, this is a good start, but we need laws that will prevent many more people from voting. A huge swath of the electorate has no business in the voting booth. Testing and other requirements could weed out the most fit. End quote. Now, I don't know what kind of testing or requirements he has in mind, but he better be careful there, because if you're going to make, you know, if you're going to create like an intellectual competency test for voters, data consistently indicates that the more education you have, the more likely you are to vote for Democrats. So I'm not sure what this guy is talking about, but this is emblematic of a wider trend on the right where Yes, you have a lot of Republicans saying, oh, we need to pass these voter laws to prevent widespread voter fraud, right? Which is a completely bad faith reason because there isn't widespread voter fraud. But you're also getting people like Matt Walsh and Tucker Carlson and the guest he had on just openly say, you know what? We're going to have to go down this route because what we're seeing is Republicans are realizing that demographics are against them. It is extremely difficult for them to win a national election. They have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections. You have a number of previously red states that are turning purple, that are going to turn blue. Arizona seems to be heading in that direction. Georgia, perhaps. Texas has gotten less red than it used to be. And the Republican Party has fully embraced white grievance politics, and they can't get out of the corner that they have backed themselves in. So rather than build a bigger tent to bring in more voters, to bring in more women, to bring in more young people, to bring in more black people, to bring in more Latinos, to bring in more Asian, whatever it is, they have decided that that is not the route they're going to take. They are embracing Trumpism, and they are going to make it very hard for all of the people that I just mentioned who tend to vote Democrat. They're going to make it harder for them to vote. And this is the path they're choosing. And that segment on Tucker Carlson that I played, that is just another example of kind of a, a right-wing media personality testing the audience's appetite for a type of fascism, a type of authoritarianism, to see just how anti-democratic their audience 
is willing to get? How far along can they bring their audience down that road to an authoritarianism? And I think it's going to get a lot more overt as we go forward. And this is very scary shit. It is incredibly scary shit. And yeah, I I agree with everything you said there. I do think Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson, like he knows, he knows exactly what he's doing, right? He knows he's, it's a scam. He's a grifter. Um, and he's there to, you know, his entire job over the past four years was to basically make Trumpism acceptable to the average Republican voter. And that's still what he's doing. You know, he, he, and Tucker Carlson, because he's a, a shameless arsehole, um, and completely, a, completely. I wouldn't even say immoral, amoral. He has no moral, nothing, no moral compass whatsoever. He'll do whatever it takes. And I think he, he'll put his finger up and see where the winds are blowing. And that's where he sees power. He sees power um, in Trumpism. He sees power in nativism. He sees power in fascism. So that's exactly where he's going to go. And yes, it's fucking scary. Uh, which brings us to the end of the show. And one positive bit of news i think which which is the dominion lawsuit so dominion many of you will remember uh, was the voting systems it's called dominion voting systems and they filed this is according to npr's filed a 1.6 billion dollar defamation lawsuit against fox news saying the network spread false claims that the voting machine company was involved in voter fraud during the 2020 president presidential election and here we are this is what dominion said fox sold a false story of election fraud in order to serve its own commercial purposes severely injuring dominion in the process according to the lawsuit filed friday in delaware quote if this case does not rise to the level of defamation by a broadcaster then nothing does um so this is serious this is a big lawsuit this is really serious 1.6 billion dollars is huge fox won't be able to pay that uh, obviously it's very early days yet but um I've read through the lawsuit. It's pretty damning, right? It's pretty damning. So also the complaint says that Fox endorsed, repeated, and broadcast a series of verifiably false yet devastating lies about Dominion. And this is what the complaint said, including claims that the company's software manipulated the results of the 2020 vote, right? So Fox went absolutely batshit crazy on this stuff during the election. Maria Bartiromo, Sean Hannity, Lou Dobbs, um, this, uh, repeated these claims had on deranged conspiracy theories like Sidney Powell, who's also being sued um, by Dominion uh, and the, the my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell constantly had these guests on to spout nonstop lies about this stuff. And it looks like they may look, you know, I don't know what the chances are of, of, of a victory or some sort of victory, but it's a pretty compelling case. Uh, they've they've asked for a jury trial. I have a good feeling about this. I have a good feeling it's going to cause some real damage, and that's a good thing. It is early, like you said. Any settlement or award that is given by a jury, if it comes to that, to Dominion will likely not be anywhere near 1.6 billion. Uh, typically, in cases like this, you know, when you when you sue somebody for defamation, uh, it can be hard to quantify how much damages have you've incurred as a result of the alleged defamation. So you just throw out a really exorbitant number in an attempt to intimidate the defendant into perhaps settling. But yeah, it's it's early. I will say Dominion, you know, often in defamation cases, uh, it's an uphill climb. Uh, and it's still maybe an uphill climb for Dominion. But Dominion in these these cases with Powell and Lindell, and I, I haven't you know, I'm not sure what they're alleging that Fox News did specifically, but the more specific your false claims against an entity or, or person, the more I believe that opens you up to things. So, you know, you can say, oh, Dominion, they're a bunch of frauds or they're crooks, but the, the claims involved here- uh, Very specific. They're very specific, especially in, in the Powell case. She's being sued for more than a billion dollars also, and she made very specific repeated claims in public saying that Dominion had conspired with the, the Venezuelan government to, you know, switch votes from uh, Trump to Biden, and she made other specific claims. And and so what it's going to come down to in the Powell case and in the other lawsuits that Dominion is filing is whether Dominion can show that these people knew what they were doing, 
right? Like, did they know better? Okay. And so if the answer is yes, if, a, if it gets to a jury trial and the jury decides, yes, these people knew exactly what they're doing, that's very bad news for Powell and Lindell and Fox. But if a jury thinks that, uh, you know what, Mike Lindell really is crazy or Sidney Powell really is crazy, then, you know, you're not supposed to award damages to uh, Dominion on that basis. You have to, you have to prove that, that, that the person knew that they were spreading false information as, as opposed to, you know, if, if they really believed it. Sure. But then that puts Fox on, that basically makes Fox more culpable because Fox had the featured these people, um, uh, knowing that they were crazy, which is obviously, which is even worse. I mean, you know, the, the, the Dominion case is, is, um, if you, if you look through what they've done, um, and that you know they've screenshots of Fox News headlines like the battle for the White House, concerns raised about Dominion voting systems. They knew exactly what they were doing, and they were they were putting reports out um, on on uh, Dominion voting systems that were essentially completely false. And they kept having on these guests. Like I, you know, it's a comp- I It looks to me like a very very compelling case. I think at the very least, like they're going to have to settle, right? You know, maybe perhaps Fox will try and settle. But it's going to be a giant settlement, you know, and and I think that they are going to have to, um, you know, I also think it opens the doorway for a lot of other kind of similar type of lawsuits as well. Um, you know, this one this might be one way to hit back at the the right wing disinformation machine um, would be to to you know actions like this I think would make a lot of these networks think twice. Right. I mean, it was like the sort of extremely humiliating um, uh, climb down. I think it was the One American News Network or Newsmax, one of those um, shit, shit, uh, um, Republican propaganda, like, wouldn't even call them propaganda networks, kind of. Um, I don't know what, I don't even know what they are, but it was on. I think it was one American news network where they had to essentially they had um, the My Pillow guy on, and they basically debunked his claims live, and they had to they had to post these humiliating uh, apologies um, to Dominion Voting Systems on air consistently for like and then there are, i think there were some right-wing websites as well that had to post unbelievably humiliating apologies um for basically lying about um about these voting systems these voting companies so it was pretty funny uh and i think that you know uh, th- this could be one way of hitting back so i think it's good news you know it can't, it's not bad news at least uh and i'll take it yeah, generally I'm leery of lawsuits against news organizations for, you know, defamation, you know, because often they're used as an attempt to intimidate or ultimately mm-hmm. silence news organizations. But in this case, I think Dominion has a legitimate beef that they were defamed. Whether it amounts to defamation under the law remains to be seen. Good point. Okay, well, on that note, I think uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, I hope everybody has enjoyed the 50th episode of the Bands podcast. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Really appreciate it. Um, you can subscribe to us on Spotify if you click the link below. Uh, you can also get 50% off a Bands membership, so you can join the club, join the community, become uh, help support independent media. You get 50% discount. You click in the email or on the website. You should see a link to 50% discount. Please subscribe to the newsletter as well if you're not subscribed, uh, where you can get the podcast delivered every week to your inbox and yeah get involved in discussions we'd love to see you in the comments section mike anything else from you get the vaccine as soon as you're able get the vax okay everyone take care